Now at Mickey D's, when you buy any crispy chicken sandwich or quarter pounder with cheese, you'll get a free medium fry and free medium drink when you order on the app. So do you have the app? How are you going to get this deal if you don't have the app? I know you have a phone. Anywho, if you have the app, enjoy your free fries and drink. If you don't, you can't see me. But know that I'm shaking my head. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Limited time only. I participate in McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. G'day everyone. Lauren Cress, the business scientist here with a special episode, a science episode, like it says in the title. This is episode three of What Science Says, which should have been episode one. So when I say episode three, I mean episode three on YouTube. I'm going to kick it off with this one because the first two episodes were pretty experimental and they also have clips from other videos in them. And on YouTube, as far as I can tell, I did a lot of reading on this to try to work out if like the copyright was okay. It's fine from my understanding, but I think with podcasts, it's sort of like if it's potentially someone else's content and it's in the audio, it can just like cause all these problems. So I'm like, that's one reason. But the other reason is, like I said, this should have been episode one. The reason it should have been episode one is because this is the episode where I talk about what science is, how it works, uh, why it's important. And also like at the end of the episode, I talk about why it matters for our life. And I had some feedback on the video and a few people were like, that was the best part of the video. It was like right at the end. I've left it there. I didn't want to move it around too much because it feels like it's in the right order. This is an experiment for me. I don't know whether people listening to this show will want to hear about science, science, but it's what I base all of my own work on, you know, so how I built a following on LinkedIn, how I've, you know, created content that people like to listen and watch how I've, you know, built a business. I actually just had my four-year anniversary in my business. But as you guys know, I'm kind of moving, moving away from that and kind of doing some new cool stuff and presenting, which is awesome. And I'm super excited about that. Anyway, back to the the main thing. So I'm going to share this episode. I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to see what you guys think. If you like it, if you don't like it, tell me, tweet with me at laurencrest89. That's the easiest way to do it. If you'd like to send me a message, you can do that as well. Sometimes people reach out on Instagram. Sometimes people reach out on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where I hang out the most. So that's where you're going to get like this, the quickest reply if you're after a reply. And just quickly, as always, if you'd like to shout me a cup of coffee for the work I'm doing, if you're enjoying this, if you think this kind of stuff is particularly good, whatever your reason is, I mean, if you can afford it, cup of coffee you can just buy it as a one-off thing or you can do it as a once a month thing or you can buy me a whole heap of coffees all in one go however you prefer to do it head over to ko-fi which is ko-fi.com forward slash lauren crest the links in the show notes and you can buy me a cup of coffee to say thanks for making all this content which i think is a pretty pretty good deal really because the type of content that i'm sharing is is sort of like my addition to a lot of the stuff that I think is missing out there. I spent a lot of money investing in coaches and consultants, plus doing two degrees as well. I paid to do all of that stuff. 
but I believe that education should be accessible. So I want to put this out there for free, but for those of you who can afford it, it really helps to keep the show going. If you can't afford it, positive rating and review, share it with your friends, share it with your family, really appreciate anything you can do to support it, it really does help out. Have an awesome rest of your weekend and I'll be speaking to you tomorrow for our Monday motivation episode and we're going to be talking about the third brand pillar. So we talked about pillar one and pillar two, but we haven't gotten on to pillar three. And if you don't, if you haven't listened to the beginning of the show, you might not know what I'm talking about. But pillar three is all about your media, your content, your distribution channels, how you get the word out there, how you penetrate the market with your message. So that's going to be our focus for the next few weeks. There's also a seen and heard coming up about that as well. I'll catch you tomorrow. Enjoy this episode. Enjoy this weekend. There's going to be a quick break now with a little ad insert and then we'll get on to the main part of the show. Buy one, get one half off traditional Wing Tuesdays at Buffalo Wild Wings. Wing Tuesdays is the best day of my life every Tuesday. What about graduating valedictorian or the first day of your new job? I mean, those are all great, but they just weren't on a Wing Tuesday. Buy one, get one half off traditional wings every Tuesday only at Buffalo Wild Wings. To the greatest of all times. Buy one, get one of equal value, 50% off traditional wings on Tuesdays at participating locations. Not valid with other offers. Size exclusions may apply, while supplies last. Limit one. Delivery and takeout available at participating locations through Buffalo Wild Wings app or website. Fees, including service fees, may apply. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means six flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit sixflags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. I'm wearing my pink lab coat today because I've decided this is the lab coat I'm going to be wearing for the What Science Says videos. And today we're talking about something we probably should have talked about back in episode one, which is what science says about science. Science is the best method we have for acquiring knowledge, but it's not perfect. So today I want to talk about what science is from a scientific perspective, and we're going to debunk three myths around science that I see pop up all the time. Like they're part of our our narrative in society. They're part of the media narrative. So I want to sort of debunk those and talk about how science can help you in your day-to-day life. So first thing to understand, first sort of myth about science is that science is the new God. You know, so we used to have like, God says this, we do this. Now it's like science says this, so we do this. And I can understand and I can empathize with why people might believe this. Again, it's a story that we're told a lot in the media. So the way media will talk about science is sort of like studies show that blah, blah, blah. I mean, you could even say like with my video title, like calling it what science says, it kind of implies that, well, if science says it, then therefore like we should just follow it, right? But for me, it's more like this is a lens by which we can view the world. It's not gospel. It's not dogma. It's like, here's the scientific perspective on this particular topic. Now, when I say science is the best method we have for accumulating knowledge, it's important to understand where science came from. So for a long time, science didn't really exist. We had some philosophers who were doing some sort of things that were like science, right? So we had astronomers and we had biologists and we had 
philosophers that were discovering these things that now we're like, actually, that was pretty close to, to accurate, right? Actually, a lot of like clergymen and stuff were also involved in establishing things in science, like uh, particularly in that sort of enlightenment period of the 18th and 19th century, uh, 18th and 19th and sort of the 17th century as well. The enlightenment sort of, they call it like the long century, I think. It's sort of like it's the 1680s, so like the 1820s, that kind of time. Um, and this is when science sort of came about. So we had philosophy, philosophy, the philosophy. Philosophy means the love of wisdom. So philosophy, it's a Greek word. And that was about essentially like what is the, what what is knowledge, what is truth, what is wise. Um, and then science kind of came along from philosophy. And David Hume was like really, really influential in that space. He's a Scottish philosopher. He was a Scottish philosopher of the 18th century and he started looking at this idea of causation, like understanding what causes what and sort of this problem with trying to understand these things. So really essentially what we're doing in science is we're looking at causation. We're looking at, okay, so we've got this thing that happens here, this event happens here and this event happens here and are these events connected at all? That's that's sort of in essence what we're looking at. So we go like right down to like the nitty gritty and like, okay, so you take this pill and then you feel better. Did the pill cause you to feel better or was there something else that happened in between? So, so in science, we want to understand, did this cause this? Did something else cause this? Were they completely unrelated? What's going on here? How does this mechanism work? And the way that we do that it's going to sound really weird and it brings me to myth number two is science isn't about proving that causation. Science is about disproving that causation. So what we're actually doing when we run an experiment, like say we use that example of like, take this pill, feel better. What's happening in between? Does the drug have an an effective uh, ingredient or an active ingredient that helps you to feel better? Very, very simple example, right? What we're doing in science is we're saying, well, there's a null hypothesis. The null hypothesis is the thing we need to disprove. And the null hypothesis is an assumption. So we start off our experiment saying there's an assumption. Our assumption is that the drug doesn't work. Now, can we use science to disprove that? Whenever we're looking at building knowledge, we're looking at can we disprove that? So in episode one, when I was talking about atheism and religion, I was like, science doesn't really come into play here when it comes to God, because we can't disprove God's existence. It's sort of out of the realm of our ability to to run an experiment and test that. But with something like a, a pill, we can. We say, okay, how about we run an experiment to test whether or not this this pill works. Now, in a separate video, I've actually walked through the scientific methods step by step. So I recommend checking that video out because I can't go into like the full scientific method and debunk myths all in one video. So uh, I do talk about it in relation to business, but it relates to this as well. It's the same method. Essentially, we go through a series of steps to then look at whether we can reliably make a prediction about what's going to happen when this event happens. So when you take this pill, can we reliably predict that you're going to feel better? 
based on testing over and over and over and over again whether this happens. What we also do is we have, and you'd be familiar with it, we have a placebo. A placebo is a way of having a control. If someone just takes a pill that has no active ingredients, right, and then they feel better, that's called the placebo effect. And we use that to determine the difference between the psychological effect of thinking you've taken something to feel better and then experiencing that sense of feeling better and actually feeling better. So whenever someone says like science has proven this, they're actually technically incorrect. Science doesn't prove things. Science disproves things. We're looking at can we say that this assumption is false? And as a result of saying this assumption is false, so the assumption of this drug doesn't work, we're going to now say that the alternative hypothesis, which is that this drug does work, is more likely to be true. It's never 100% accurate. We never, never have absolute certainty in science. We're like, based on the data that we've gathered and the data that we've analyzed, this seems to be true. And the other thing is, is it might be true some of the time. So in the case of something like a drug, it only has to work like 30% of the time like as in with 30% of the people that have a condition, for it to be considered an effective drug. So there'll be some people who take it and it's only the placebo effect. And then there's some people who take it and it actually does have an effect on them. So it's actually a really, really interesting area, but it doesn't just apply to medicine. Now, I think when we when we think about scientists, we think about someone in a in a white lab coat in a laboratory running experiments on animals or on humans. You know, or they've got like their test tubes and they've got their microscopes. Which brings me to myth three: scientists aren't the only people who do science. So the myth is that scientists do science and no one else does, right? But science is part of our everyday. So the reason I call myself a business scientist is I'm like, we cannot have business intelligence without using the scientific method. What I see happen over and over and over again is people are gathering data and then they don't know actually how to analyze that data in order to disprove something. So in in business, we don't generally look at things like having a control. We don't look at things like whether something would have just happened anyway. And as a result, we can't make reliable predictions because we haven't ruled out all of what we call the confounding variables and biases. So for instance, let's go back to the pill example. You take the pill. Now, let's say you've taken a pill that's meant to treat some disease that you have, right? And you're also exercising at the same time. And it actually turns out that, this is a thought experiment, right? It actually turns out that it's the exercise that's helping. So the exercise is being done. They're taking the pill. They're feeling better. What scientists have to look at is they have to allow for things like, oh, this person's exercising and this person isn't. This person's eating well and this person isn't. This person has a you know, really supportive family. This person doesn't. What are all these other confounding variables, things that could be having an effect on the results, on the thing we're trying to predict? 
I want to explain one more sort of concept around uh, the scientific methodology to help you understand how to start applying science in life. So what we're doing when we're running an experiment is we have these different types of variables. So I've mentioned the confounding variable and before I was talking about the cause and effect. So the, the cause is what we call the independent variable. It's the thing that comes along and that we're saying, if we do this to this person, so the, that pill, if we give someone that pill, what will the effect be? So it's the independent variable. It's the things that we're, we're actually saying, we're going to give you this, or we're going to give you a placebo, or we're going to give you nothing, or we're going to give you, so it's the thing we're testing. Then you have the dependent variable. So the dependent variable is the thing that's changing. That's the thing we're saying, okay, do you feel better? Are these symptoms resolved as a result of taking this pill, the independent and the dependent? So in science, we're trying to work out what's the relationship between these two things. Then we have the confounding variables. So they're the things like, could exercise be affecting it? Could well-being be affecting it? And family and, and you know, all, mobility and all of these things. Is that having an effect? So we have to try to predict what else could be involved in having this effect. And this is, again, why science isn't perfect because we can't necessarily cater for all of the confounding variables. There might be things that we just don't think of, even with all of our background research and all of the things that we look at in order to design that experiment. We just might not – it might not be in our – our uh, comprehension yet. It might not be something that we're thinking about. And this is why science is always changing because there's things that we, we're not considering necessarily. And there's you can't completely rule out bias. We're doing the best we can to rule out bias. And then you have the control. So the control is like the, the um, placebo. It's the thing that we're saying, okay, what about if you thought you were taking a pill or what about if you were doing all the same things but we don't have the independent variable actually in there? So it helps us to see if there's just an effect of doing the experiment and that looks like it's the pill that's causing this to happen but it's actually just the fact that you're doing running this experiment and you're asking someone to do something, right, as an example. So in business and in life – if we can start to understand how these things relate to each other, we can make better predictions and we can build better knowledge about what's going on. The human brain is a pattern recognition machine, right? So from the time I've talked about this, I think I talked about this in the last episode. So our brain is always trying to make predictions, but it's not very good at it. It has lots of biases and it's something we're going to explore later in the series is all the cognitive biases that lead us to make bad assumptions about things and bad decisions about things. Our brain only needs to be exposed to something a few times to think that there's a causal relationship between something. So say, for instance, if you have a ham sandwich and then later in the afternoon you throw up and you throw up just because you happen to have a stomach bug. That's something that very quickly we will learn, I'm not going to have, you actually probably won't be able to eat a ham sandwich for a while. It will make you feel sick because it's like biological, that's dangerous. I don't want to do that again. So again, if you think about to the law of attraction video, and if you haven't seen it, I'll put it up. I can never remember which side it is, but I'll put it up on one of these sides, (laughs) wherever that is. 
So our, our brain wants to really avoid that because that's dangerous. You know, survival-wise, it's like, that's dangerous. I don't want to do that again. Okay, I'm not going to eat the ham sandwich. Now, the ham sandwich may have had nothing to do with us feeling sick, but our brain's just going to make that assumption anyway. And it's doing this all of the time and it's doing it to try to protect us, but it's not a very good pattern recognition machine. So we might think that there's these patterns where there aren't actually patterns. It's just random. So this is where science is trying to help us eliminate those biases. It's trying to say, hang on brain, you're not very good at recognizing patterns. Let's actually see if this is a real pattern or if this is just a story that you're telling yourself. And this brings me on to the biggest thing that science can help us with, I think, in life. And this is my opinion. This is not what science says about science. This is my opinion. Um, But there are a few facts here. So one is that our brains are wired for storytelling. That's not an opinion. That is fact. That is how we relate cause and effect. So when we're told a narrative, the way a narrative is constructed is around cause and effect. And the more emotional content that's in there, the more likely we are to remember it. So when you watch a movie, the way a movie is designed, it helps us to, because we're experiencing things, we're empathizing things, there's lots of parts of our brain that are involved in acquiring the knowledge of that narrative. And if we're exposed to those things over and over again, we just take it at face value. That's fact. This is why storytelling, you know, in the media and stuff also is We've got to be really careful because the way those stories are told, especially if there's like anger and emotion and all of this stuff, we're kind of like, yeah, that's true. That seems to be true because of the way that you're relating this cause and effect. And we tell ourselves these stories about our life. We have these narratives constantly going on in our heads about how life works. In psychology, it's they talk about it in terms of these schemas, like this is what I believe a good person does. This is what I believe success is. This is why I think that person doesn't like me. This is why I'm not good enough. We tell ourselves all of these stories based on all of this conditioning, all of these narratives, all of this thing, all of these things that our brain has picked up through pattern recognition to form certain ideas about the world. By practicing scientific thinking, And this is something that I believe everyone should be taught. And this is where, again, this is my belief is that this is where science can help us the most as a human species is that we can start to look at these things and say, maybe I'm not right about this. Maybe this story I'm telling myself is just a story. How about I go back and look at some of the evidence? How about if I try something different and see if there's a different result? How about if I actually question what I think is the cause and what I think is the effect? Now, some scientists might have an issue with that because that's not running a scientific experiment, but it's that critical thinking that comes from us understanding what science is. So I think how science can really help us in life and what I really want to do with this series is start to unpack that in terms of how biases can lead us astray, how these things in the media are actually causing us to believe really unhelpful things. The stories that are toxic to the way that we relate to one another and the way we relate to ourselves because we haven't taken the time to stop and think, hang on, what's the evidence? Is this really true? Is this knowledge or is this belief? And how can I differentiate those things? So 
I know I probably should have done this in episode one, actually explained a little bit about what the series is about, explain a little bit about what science is and why it's valuable. But like I said, better late than never. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks time for another What Science Says video. And in the meantime, there'll be loads of other content up here as well. Have a great weekend. I'll see you soon. So what did you think? What did you think of the What Science Says episode? Episode one for here, but episode three on YouTube. Uh, If you want to check out the other first two episodes, one's about science and atheism and this straw man argument that Russell Brand and Brene Brown make against atheism. And the second one is about the problems with the law of attraction, which I say in quotation marks, but you can't see me, so you don't know that I'm doing that. Uh, It's not a scientific law. It's a very, very misleading way of wording that phrase. So if you want to check those two out, just go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash C slash Lauren Cress. Head over to the What Science Says playlist and you will find it there along with my latest episode, which is on the placebo and the nocebo effect, which I'll also potentially be sharing on this podcast pending your thoughts. So let me know what you thought at Lauren Cress 89. I'll catch you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means six flags in the taste of an ice cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit sixflags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. Yeah.